One, two, three, four, five. Welcome back to the TMCJ podcast. We are on episode 56, and I honestly did not remember the episode number. During that intro, I had to look down at my notepad. (laughs) (laughs) I have to do it every time I do a new thumbnail. I've got to look at the previous one. I'm like, okay, it's probably one more than the last one. <laughs> it's like, wait, what, what episode are we on again? Yeah, which oh, is what man. got really confusing about what, that time when you did one of the thumbnails. Oh, right. And I made, you made the a wrong, thumbnail for the wrong week. The wrong week. I had to remind, like, that was last week and I did that one. Oh, I was pissed. You said it and I was like, <laughs> I only have myself to blame, but fuck me. We're, we're very professional here. Uh, <laughs> so... I, I we decided to start. We actually were going to start about a half hour ago, and then we ended up having like a twenty-five minute conversation about everything under the sun, including fiddles, uh, Whole Foods, haircuts, Belgium, Belgium. Um, yeah, it just and it, most of it we can't share on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, although I will share my my hatred for fucking places like Whole Foods. Don't get me wrong; they they they're probably good people that work there and everything like that. I just really I was say, but your hatred for hippies. <laughs> no, it's 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 down. That, that's what it is. I hate hippies and I hate California. And like yeah. the only reason that stores like that thrive is because of hippies in California. Although the hippies have grown up. Like now, the hippies are like pretentious, you know, middle aged white people. At least these days, hippies kind of care about their appearance it depends on the hippies uh, I guess I mean uh, if, so okay what I'm thinking of, I'm not thinking of hippies I, what I'm thinking of is like hipsters um, hipsters yes and I think I'm thinking hipsters, of hipsters as well I, and I'm saying hippies so hippies yeah, if you're out there I'm hips, sorry I think of like the um, fucking apple dude what's his name oh Steve Jobs Steve Jobs with the polo neck and the glasses. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's your turtle neck is what you're thinking of. But yeah, what did I say? Polo. You neck. said polo neck. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's because I look like a hipster today. Apparently. Um, yeah, he's got his hair pulled back. I have. That's the only reason. The fact that I'm wearing a floral Hawaiian shirt, my normal one. I'm surprised Nothing my hair is this put together. Like I, I literally, I haven't showered yet. I rolled out of bed and then did this. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's pretty late for you, to be fair. Um, I got up at six thirty. Yeah. But then I, I like was making breakfast and on the phone with my parents yeah. and stuff. Anyway, so we actually did have a serious topic today, uh, very topical and hopefully not too controversial for the podcast. Although we've ventured into that territory previously and with mild success. Yeah. No, Afghanistan. I will be playing the part of the uh, clueless person who doesn't understand anything, and Kaiser will be playing the part of the person who thinks he knows too much about the subject. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, like, uh, it, the thing that's kind of on everyone's mind at the moment, or that's being talked about constantly at the moment, uh, keep in mind, this is what we're going to be talking about is facts as of the 21st of August. Yeah, um, I was dating this video very hard. Yeah, because this is something that's going to change quite a bit. But Afghanistan, the whole yeah. rise and fall and fall and fall and fall. Um, so the reason for that is, like, I've I've been alive throughout the entire conflict. I was 14 or 15, I think, when that actually started in 2003. 
and um, here I am now, like as it's ending, and it it's something that kind of just so go, going through a few facts on the topic. It going in there, I didn't have a problem with because we were going after like a terrorist that bombed the U.S. Right? Yeah, and well, bombed, but did so. Yeah, you know, nine eleven. <laughs> that made sense but then he escaped to Pakistan and we eventually got him and it's like why, why are we still there it, it became like we wanted to like build up like an allied nation in the area but with absolutely no idea how governments in that territory have functioned historically the only people who have successfully uh, colonized Afghanistan have been the Persians and the British and they did it in two very simple ways. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I see you give the fucking like, <laughs> smile on your face when I said that. But they, they did it in two very simple ways. They didn't bother any of the people in the mountains, the tribesmen. And all they did was they took over the major cities, heavily fortified them, and secured the trade routes. And that worked. Um, yeah. They didn't bother trying to conquer the whole thing. We... Thinking that, oh, we're America. We can do whatever the fuck we want. We go in there and try to conquer the entire country. And as a result, all the tribes banded together. And that's what the Taliban is. And then came after us and kicked us out. Uh, well, not kicked us out. Like, we, if we had left, uh, like, a token force in there, the whole thing wouldn't have fallen apart. But Yeah, it was the kind of thing where both sides had enough uh, resources at their disposal. It could have gone on for fucking ever. I it mean, could. it still will go on. I'm assuming America's not still just going to keep walking away. I don't know what their current ethos is. It's So, this is something that has been happening in the U.S. for getting into the boring topic of geopolitics for, for a second. Um, this is something that has been American policy starting with Obama and kind of expanding under Trump and then continuing under Biden. And that's that, uh, like, there's no real political will in the U.S. to be the world's police officer anymore. So we're kind of pulling back in. Like, the U.S. basically has all the resources it needs within its own borders. We have, like, every mineral and metal that we need. Oh, we but have... it'll never be enough, Kaiser. The world is not enough for it, but it, But it will eventually, you know, go back out again. But the U.S. has done this previously, where we're just like, yeah, we don't want to deal with you people anymore, and we just kind of entrench. Yeah. Uh, it happened Which in the I 1800s. I think it's a good thing. Like, locally sourced stuff is, tends to be better for better quality yeah yeah and it, it it builds up i think it's it's good to have you know your own industries internally so um that's what we're going through right now so i think that's the the, the whole afghanistan pullout is part of that but what's annoying is how we did it like there there's there are intelligent ways to pull pull out of like a region like that and then there's what happened and what happened was uh herp derp we're leaving tomorrow and then we just pulled everything out, didn't even evacuate all the people that we needed to. Like, there's still, like, I think something like 10,000 Americans in Afghanistan who are trapped. Yeah. The embassy I'm, and stuff. I'm, like, I'm pissed about the Like, there's a reason that Americans almost never got kidnapped abroad. And the reason that Americans almost never got kidnapped abroad is, and other nationalities did, is that a lot of governments, their policy was, okay, we'll pay the ransom and we'll take the person back. So it made it an industry. America's response was always, okay, you kidnapped one of our citizens? Missiles. Yeah, the whole, um, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it became a bit of a meme, but as a result, terrorists learned that, okay, if we kidnap an American by accident, release him immediately. Get him out of here. 
because yeah. they know that they're fucked if they keep them. Yeah. Um, now with this, and it used to be a similar concept with like, um, you know, if if people were trapped abroad, like in a war zone or something like that, the warring factions knew that like, okay, you know, we're 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 in a civil war or something like that, but let the Americans go so that you know the the bombs don't start raining down. And it is a bit annoying, um, the tepid and just limp-dicked response that we've had to this. Like, we should not have pulled out our military until every single, like, American was out of that territory. So I'm, I'm being, like, I'm, I'm going, like, a bit patriotic here, but it, no, it's something that, that genuinely annoys me, uh, how we've done yeah. this. Like, I, of all the uh, sources that I've read up on, and I, there haven't been many, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen anyone having any good uh, view of, of what America's doing at the moment. Um, whether the generals or like... What was it? So I was watching um, Angry Cops, another YouTuber. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, you could ask any enlisted man below a certain rank. Yeah. And they could tell you that every one of those trained soldiers that they had given to the... Um, Afghani government, yeah, were like shit at their job. That well, that was some Not of been the trained properly. That was the thing. Like they actually, I, I was watching. Um, there's a documentary that came out in like 2013, 2014 called, um, you know, this is what winning looks like, or something like that. And it was after we first started like pulling out militarily and were turning things over to the Afghans. Yeah. And some of the soldiers, like, they'd go up to, like, a guard post and, like, the, the army consultants, and they're looking around, like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, the barricades weren't set up properly, all the soldiers were just chilling out, they were high on, like, weed and heroin, like, just laying off to the side. And, hmm. and it was just, they ended up, like, having to, in, in that the scene, they ended up having to, like, recruit civilians to set up the barricade because the soldiers were too high to do it. And so... It's one of those, when people look at the raw numbers, like, yes, the Afghan government that had, like, 300,000 trained troops versus the Taliban's, like, uh, you know, 20, 20 to 70,000 or something like that. Mm. But all of those troops were shit. Well, yeah, and we're not saying that, like, every single oh, Afghani not. soldier was, like, shit and lazy and that. But but it was but a very... It a was, certain majority of them... Yeah. Once you get past a certain threshold... Wrong. Yeah, like, the moment that the parents go out for the night, which is essentially America going back to their home, Yeah, uh, the kids fucking panic and get themselves shot. Like, well, and th- this is, that was a terrible analogy. That was, a, that was an sorry. awful analogy, <laughs> but I knew where you were going with it, and that is sort of what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and the thing is, it, you only need, like, a certain... You see this with, with ancient battles all the time. You only need, like, a certain percentage of the, the military force to break and run before it gets mm. contagious, and everyone does, even the good soldiers. Yeah, it's, it's a morale thing. You see yeah. it in all kinds of games these days, like Rome Total War, yeah. um, and all the Total Wars that have gone after. When the captain dies, that's a big morale kill. Even though it's yeah. one person, it's the person that everyone is looking to for orders. Yeah. And so without orders shit just goes to shit and that's that's one of the things that does make um you know little again me being a bit patriotic but the uh it's one of the things that makes the the u.s military fairly effective is there's a large degree of you know 
leadership and independence training given to like the rank and file soldiers so even if like command is cut off at like the the squad mm. leader level they can still function very well yeah um, there's a um what's the word a chain of command yeah and all the way down like people like you can even if that chain is cut at some point it can still function very well yeah anyway so i don't want to get too caught up in this that's what's happened basically um mm. But there are funny things that have come out of this. Well, out of we this haven't tragedy. actually said what's happened. <laughs> well, what's happened is, um, oh yeah, the U.S. Sorry, I I thought we yeah I thought we had for some reason. Uh, we yeah, the U.S. pulled out um, of Afghanistan. We had a long time to do it, and then just decided to fiddle around and you know touch ourselves for six months. Provided and, a lot. A lot of very high-end equipment to the Afghani government. So this is... So normally, what what you do... What, what the U.S. has historically done in, in war zones is we leave our equipment behind. We always do. Because it's cheaper just to make more equipment back home than to take it home. The transport costs yeah. are ridiculous. Um, in this case, though, there was a plan in place um, back in the winter to actually take our equipment back this time because just we didn't want it you know getting into the hands of the taliban yeah um that plan was never implemented and so we just left it all behind well it wouldn't have been like a problem it would have been good for the afghani government to use if yeah it will if they had stayed afloat for any amount of time but what happened was yeah. they fell in a week like we were gone yeah. and then the, the whole government collapsed and now the yeah. taliban is the new government um yeah, don't know, don't know much. I don't know how, <laughs> what's the response to this, but from from America. Uh, so it's been mixed. You have a lot of people going like, "Oh, this is uh, well." You you've got a lot of like lower level normal people going like, "This is horribly irresponsible. How could we let this happen? This is disgusting." And then mm. you've got the people at the top dodging blame as hard as they can. Yeah, I feel like some pretty hardcore, um, what's the word, investigation needs to go into the uh, so, top level of the army. What, what, but it's not even the... So it's funny. The The president and vice president have had interesting responses. Um, Sorry, uh, not the army, the military, because that... Anyway, go Yeah. On. So I, the, 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 what I've heard um, so far, uh, Biden did an interview, and in the interview he basically said, that's not my problem. They, they have to sort their own shit out. Uh, the vice president, Kamala, Did she asked them to pull out? Oh, yeah. He was the one that orchestrated this whole thing. Okay. So, basically, what happened was uh, Trump had, like, a, a plan for how we were going to pull out. He he set the date for pulling out, which was May 1st. Okay. Negotiated, like, a peace treaty with the Taliban and said, you know, no fighting. We are going to pull out on this date. And he sp was going to oh, spend... Yes. Negotiating peace with the Taliban, yeah, classically that, reliable. Not, not a very. But the thing is, it worked. It worked because there was no fighting up until now, um, and he, like, again, a bit sketchy. And it was, it was very weird because he didn't involve the government of Afghanistan. He, he, like, the U.S. negotiated around the government with the terrorists. It was. To be fair, that kind of sounds like just cutting out the middleman is kind of a, maybe a good thing because. Government didn't do shit. That I mean, yeah, maybe that was the reason behind it. But that so that yeah. happened, and the plan was we pull out on May first, and the idea was that we would like do things in in scale, like we'd we'd pull the equipment out, we'd pull the people out, then 
by May 1st would pull the military out. Yeah. That plan was going until, you know, so Biden takes over mm-hmm. and he just stopped implementing that plan. So nothing happened for about four months, five months or six months. And then finally... So it like, was a gradual, like th- things were gradually being pulled out. That was the plan and it, it stopped okay. around, well, it stopped when he got elected. And then, mm. then the Taliban was like, well, we negotiated for May 1st. They're still here and it's not May 1st. And so the fighting started up again um, after May. Weird that the Taliban were the ones that kind of kept the deal. Yeah, it, it says a lot. And I, I, it's another thing that's kind of shameful, I think, about this whole thing from a, you know, yeah, a U.S. Bit. perspective. So they, they then started taking over a lot of territory. Um, it looked like they so the, the Afghani government had 300,000 troops. It's like, okay, it's going to take them a while to take Kabul. And so we pulled out our military and we were going to pull out the people next. But they took it in like two weeks. They took the capital in like a, like two weeks. It completely yeah. fell apart. The troops just fucking ran. Yeah. Um, and so that that was like the progression of things. And so now we've got you know the president saying it's not my problem. We get the vice president who hasn't been seen in like a couple weeks. She's trying to like distance herself from this as much as possible. Like she's like, what oh, did I'm she di-. do? Um, she's. Her excuse is she's dealing with humanitarian issues in South America and the Caribbean. No, but what what input did she put, have into the uh, Afghani crisis? As far as I know, nothing. Oh, she's just a higher person in government, and so she's hiding. Yeah, basically, she's just okay. It's, everyone is dodging blame yeah. for this. Um, you've got whistleblowers coming out and saying like they were warned about this repeatedly and just did nothing and yada yada yada. That's yeah. that's where that is. But. So that's that's all the serious stuff. Is did I miss anything? Is there anything? Any other questions? Any other thoughts that you're having on this? Uh, no, go on. Because I wanted, to, I I do. We've been very serious up until now. I want to get on to the funny things. Oh well. So so just to round this up, what you're saying is essentially what happened. Is, is it was like in Star Wars where Anakin changed sides and took all the storm, all the all the rebel troopers. And turned them to the dark side. That's essentially what's happened here. Yeah? Are you saying that the Taliban executed Order 66? I'm saying, yes, the Taliban are the Empire. I mean, it's sort of true. And one of the funny things about all of this is... So, the Taliban are very strict on, like, you know... They're hardcore, like, old-school religious... And so yep. they have some very particular things about women's rights, you know? Yeah. Because I mean, they... If no, you're no. about to say what I think you're about to say from just now, before the thing... No, no, it's not. Okay, I was going to say, I wouldn't say that's necessarily a funny thing. It's No, no. But yeah. This, this thing is funny. Okay. So they are now essentially the de facto government of Afghanistan. Right. Afghanistan was recently elected to the UN Commission on Women's Rights... The Taliban is now on the UN Commission of Women's Rights. I mean, I'm assuming they've already been struck from the record. Like, the moment that happens. They haven't yet. As, well, as of yesterday... Like, as like of a representative's gonna turn up at the UN, is it? I really think it might... I, I don't, I, I, I'm making light of a very serious topic here. 
Yeah. But it is one of these weird ironies of, like, government. <laughs> Where you can have, like, like a hardcore, very, very, like, regressive kind of, um, like, government who basically it's like, you know, women can't do all of these things. They have to wear, like, all these, you know, they wear mm. a veil, they can't be seen in public, they can't drive without a male escort, you know, they can't do all these other things. And now they are on the UN Commission of Human's, Human Rights. Sorry, Women's Rights. I mean, if Afghanistan's in that, then surely there must be a lot of countries in that. On that board. Um, I think it's only like five or six. Or is it like countries that have recently kind of reformed their ways? No, 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 no. It's it's a commission. So basically, the way the UN the UN works is so like they have the Security Council, right? Which is the um you know the the big players on the world, the ones with nukes, yeah. basically. And then they have um, like other little commissions on things, and so they'll pick up, they'll they'll elect a couple nations, and like you're you're a commission on this, and you have to, you know, think up useless ideas on how to solve this. And so there were like five or six nations, I think it was five or six, usually five or six in these things, and like you, you five or six nations will. It's funny. Hey, so let me get this straight. They put, gave Afghanistan the mission, as it were. Of coming up with better rights for women. Yeah. It's weird. I don't... I, <laughs> I hate the UN. Like, I, I'm not trying to understand it. I think the UN is That's a fucking like joke. That's like Russia on the board to stop alcoholism. <laughs> like... <laughs> don't get me wrong. It's a dumb idea. I think it's, I think it's fucking stupid. But... It's what happened. <laughs> and now, as a result... Okay. The Taliban might, might be on that commission. <laughs> excuse me and this is what i mean is like it's a very serious situation i got the grim dark stuff out of the way in the beginning yeah i mean <laughs> it's one of these things where everyone has two minds on these things some people say you know it's best to make light of situations so then we can understand them and get past them yeah kind of in our heads uh and other people say oh it's too soon kind of thing it's not very respectful i am Personally, I don't. I don't mind which way a person goes. I'm perfectly happy with making light of, yeah, um, well, situations like that. It, I can take things seriously if I have to, but I, I'm very much on the make light of things uh, yeah. side. If of we it. were talking about the like the death count or something, okay, that's different. Yeah, but well, you, you don't the want situation to, like, in a whole. The ironies of it, the, yeah, are quite funny. The other funny thing is like the Taliban has refused to like negotiate with a lot of world governments. Um, like right. just because they've been enemy combatants for a while, but America lied to us, so we're not gonna talk to you anymore. <laughs> but they are willing to talk to random people on Twitter. The Taliban, by the way, still have a oh, Twitter yeah. account. They they have so, so Trump got his ban. Yeah, Trump but... got his ban, but a terrorist organization still has theirs. <laughs> <laughs> that really speaks like volumes, doesn't it? <laughs> There was an instance I was I was listening to uh, like a news story about um, yesterday. Just a random dude on Twitter from Spain, like DM'd the Taliban and asked them to like you know allow the Spanish diplomats out. Yeah, and they're like, oh yeah yeah they'll be they'll be fine. And the Spanish diplomats are getting an escort by the Taliban out. Of yeah, no, I've heard about that. It's, like, um, God. <coughs> it's just like a random, but I just. Like, like, imagine, imagine, like, the Taliban, they've, like, they've been banned from Twitter, like, oh, shit, 
Where can we go to next? The hot tub streams on Twitch. Taliban hot tub streams coming now. So it's interesting. They've been banned off of... They had a YouTube channel. It's been banned. They had mm. a Facebook channel or a Facebook group. It's been banned. Uh, yeah. But their Twitter is still up. Um, but yeah, no, former president of the United States, he can't be on there. Well, hey, when they do finally get banned, you know that the headline is going to be Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, no, that, that was a bad pun. But So the other, the other funny uh, thing about all this, and you mentioned that you knew a bit about it, um, was the, mm. the British kid that uh, ended up over there. Yeah. So the full story of it, because I have actually watched an interview with him now, um, now that he's safe, he wanted to do some like charity work, right? And he's like, okay, so I'm going to go to like some war-torn kind of country. And he did like a cursory Google search. Yeah, I heard he had a um, top, he looked up the top 10 list of most dangerous countries to visit. And he kind of... Yeah, and so he went there with like some some money and stuff intending to do charity work yeah. was his, he went his to, thinking he went to chernobyl and got a gas mask a yeah i heard home about a that. Ga gas mask which he then sold for more than the trip's worth so he's he's a bit of a, a bit of a thrill seeker um yeah and in his defense he did like consult with intelligence agencies and stuff and they everyone was telling him like oh yeah it's you know it, it's not gonna fall like it's got you know 90 days at least before the taliban take over etc etc have you um, heard about the whole uh, lordship thing? Yes, yeah, he, he called himself Lord Miles or something like that. Yes, yeah, so you can get these, like, shitty certificates online for pretty much, like, anywhere you can become a lord. Yeah. Uh, do you want to continue? Because I'm sure you have more details with the idea. Yeah, so he his idea was he was gonna... So he, he got his certificate to make him, you know, a lord. And it yeah. said it on all of his cards and stuff over there, so his yeah, thinking was... Yeah, he went to a bank... And they were just, and he was like, "Can you put Lord on my thing?" And they were like, "Sure." <laughs> and so his thinking was that if the Taliban captured him, they'd say the Lord and assume that he was, you know, high value, and they wouldn't just kill him outright. Um. Yeah. Anyway, so he ended up getting stuck over there, and uh, for like, it wasn't clear if he was going to get out. Flights got canceled out of the country, like, and he um he eventually ended up. Uh, making his way to like a safe house with some soldiers and stuff like that. Yeah, and... he was gonna. He was he was in the, like the airport going to leave. Then he saw there were like Taliban in the airport. Yeah. And so he went to the uh, embassy, I believe. Yeah, and but and then he eventually had to get out of there and get to the airport again. And one of the the, the ironies of the whole thing was like near the end, like he was thinking like, oh god, this is after they had taken over for a few days. They, he actually got a Taliban escort to the airport. Yeah. And the, the, well, I guess it kind of makes sense because if you're like on record from the government, where they're like, "Okay, I'm coming back to the UK now." Yeah. The Taliban they get no value from killing this kid. No, and I, I think it makes it does make sense logically from their perspective because if they kill him, they risk you know. Western countries going back in there and fighting them again. Yeah, which I'm sure we. I mean, I don't think this is going to die quietly, but I guess it can't. It doesn't harm their cause to let that pass. Yeah, what they're they're already like um, they're being 
I think they're being magnanimous in a lot of ways to try and like do everything they can to avoid further intervention yeah. from other countries. They've got their foot in the door. They don't need any more violence right now. They just need to show that they've got a big fucking dick and they're swinging it around. Yeah. Which, if they've been doing interviews, they've been doing press conferences. Yeah, they're trying to set up an actual fucking country. It's yeah. kind of... They, they did a press conference and I watched it and it was the best... <laughs> fucking hilarious <coughs> oh my god what did they ask them oh sorry what did they ask them like the everything conference? under the sun like everything you'd ask like a, a like a, it's like oh so what what is you know what do you think this is going to mean for like the uh the former former government and stuff like that and they're like right and they said something along the lines of um you know, anyone who doesn't contest the transition will be fine, but we will we will not tolerate you know whatever. And I can't I can't remember exactly what it was, but they asked the uh, the, the big one that came up a few times was like, oh, you know, what is this going to mean for uh, you know for women's rights? Will women still be allowed to participate in government? And their response was like, you know, women will be able to do anything they could, but under Sharia, this is the new law of the land. What and Ryan, what's Sharia law again? Uh, Sharia, like so. Islam actually has a very interesting and unique uh, thing among the Abrahamic religions in that the it, it actually has a legal code built into it, and that's what Sharia is. So yeah. Sharia is a um, it's a legal code that's essentially interpreted from uh, the the Quran, from the Hadiths, right? Religious law, and yeah. from like the the life of Muhammad. So they they take all three of those things together, and they have, they've created a legal code, and that's what Sharia is. It's there's interpretation, there's there's wiggle room in it, which is why you get different factions doing slightly different things. But So, did yeah. they say that they can be a member of government as long as they're, like, wearing face covering and that kind of thing? They, they weren't specific. Okay. They weren't specific. They just said as long as it complies with Sharia, they will be allowed, you know, whatever rights and privileges, which isn't... Mm. If the, 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 the sect of... Um, Islam that the Taliban follows is relatively strict. So when they say that, what they're essentially saying is they can participate, but not much, really. Yeah, okay. Um, it seems like they're trying to come off more human. That's what that's what like the impression I've been plus. getting by watching like the, the statements they've been making and listening to the stuff coming out of them is they're trying to appear like just a normal, legitimate government to the, the outside world so no one comes back in. Yeah. I see. It's mm. <laughs> it's a weird and wacky uh, situation. Yeah, I think it's gonna be an interesting month or two over there. Yeah, I'm 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 still following it because again, this is a war that's been going on for close to two thirds of my life. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, heavy stuff. But I don't know. Maybe. But there are like, it's it, like I said, it's a very situous. Oh my god, a very situous seriation. A very serious situation is what I was trying to say. It's a very serious <laughs> situation. But there are goofy and lighthearted. Like there. There's humor to be had. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Has, has there been, was there much uh, of a toll in the takeover? Not really. So, not that we know. Because what I, I hear, there's a lot of running away. So I don't think, I don't know how many people actually got. So there was a lot of chaos and a lot of um, people who were, let's say, friendly 
to the the U.S. occupation have disappeared, right? Presumed dead. Um, but in terms of like outright violence against the civilian population, it's basically been nil. Yeah, something that was said from the the British guy was that his translator had worked for the government, and so yeah, they and were so, actively after his head. Yeah, and I heard him say that in the interview that I watched was that he's actively working to try and get that guy extradited because yeah. he did a lot to keep this kid alive, safe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's yeah, but I'll be I'll be watching it pretty closely. Um, just because it's been something that's fascinating. So, and I know this is this is not really something that we normally talk about on the podcast, but it's something that is topical, serious, and has some you know amusing memes to it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, we occasionally do serious stuff. Yeah, I like to <sighs> pepper it in every now and again. Yeah, it's like you know how a couple of weeks ago we talked about Blizzard. Mm. So that had already been going on for a couple weeks before that, and people are still fucking talking about it. It's like, alright, talk about it once. If something revolutionary comes out, bring it up in a new video. But otherwise... Yeah, don't just beat the dead horse over and over again. I feel like that's what a lot of people are doing. Um... And, yeah, I don't know. We talk to each other about it a bit. But yeah. there's not been anything revolutionary different, I mean, as far as I'm concerned. So. I, I think I mentioned this in the podcast, but I've actually... I, I read the legal document, like the, the lawsuit against them, because it's, it's public yeah. record. Um, hmm. And it reads like a 2014 Fully. YouTube video. Yeah. It's... I, I don't know what cheap-ass lawyer they got, but it's nonsense. I mean, even if... Even if the case comes to nothing... The hit has already really been done on Blizzard. Yeah, like, and I, so to, to, this this sorry, could be another. We're rabbit, literally talking about it now. Sorry. This could be another <laughs> rabbit hole we could go down. But the, the only thought <laughs> yeah. I'll have is this is this is a flaw I think in the way that um, social media has changed how we discuss things. Is the damage is done by an accusation, not by an act. So like, mm. it's not that anything has been confirmed to be wrong there. It's that someone has accused wrongdoing, and so Blizzard is fucked. Yeah, and that's that's a. And very I do, I do bad think that Blizzard have done some really shitty stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, they released uh, what is it? Runes of Pandaria. Or wow, Mists of Pandaria. <laughs> Whatever it is, yeah. I've never even played the game. Mate. <laughs> Neither have I. Yeah, I you have. Just, you I was just pull- played a little bit. Ah, uh, well, yeah, but. Maybe like ten hours total. Yeah, unlike the mighty eleven days and twelve hours I have on Final Fantasy. You have been playing that game pretty crazy. Like I've been, I've, I've been had me- it a few weeks. Like I well, looked I, at the number and I was like, oh my god. I need to get back to it. Um, I, I took a couple days off because Kevin and Jake were down, but I do, I do want to play more of it. Um, mm. I was playing a little bit. Yeah, you've day. been very busy during the day. I always catch you like right at the end of the day when you're exhausted, and it's like ah, damn. <laughs> Anyway, let's not let's not go on about this. We have yeah. segment two to get to. All right, and segment two, we didn't do movie night, but I do have a movie to talk about because I watched one with uh, Kevin when he was down, uh, The Big Lebowski. Which, God, all right, uh, this is going to be the end of segment one of the TMCJ podcast. Thank you all for listening, and you will hear us again momentarily for segment two.
Welcome back to the TMCJ Podcast. We are on segment two, our media segment. We didn't do movie night this week, but I technically did. Um, my cousins were down, and one of the nights we were going through Netflix and trying to find like a movie to watch at the end of the night, and stumbled upon a movie that I'd heard a lot about, seen referenced repeatedly, but um, had not watched myself. And that is The Big Lebowski. You had your finger up. What, what do you... What? I just had a thought. Uh, that I, there is actually a topic I would like to discuss, it'll be about ten minutes, so if we can save it for the end. Sorry for the cut-in. No, no, it's it's fine. Um, th- this it's probably one. won't take up the whole time anyway, okay. um, but the movie is, like, like, late 90s, and it just, I, it, it's about a guy called The Dude, named Lebowski, Jeff Lebowski, okay. it's part of a bowling club. Um, Jeff Lebowski. Jeff Lebowski, yes. Nice, good name, solid. And he, uh, like, he's just like the the chillest man on earth. Like, he lives in a, sh- like he he's coming home in the beginning of it, and like two gangsters like, um, practically drown him in his own toilet to try and like say, like, oh, where's the money? And like, oh, your wife borrowed all this money and and stuff like that. And um, like, there's at one point. Where, uh, like, the guy pulls his head out of the toilet and, and goes, like, do you remember where it is now? And he's just like, no, I think, but put me back in there. I think I almost found it. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the whole start of the story is, like, one of the, the gangsters, like, pisses on his carpet, right? Says just like, oh, fuck you kind of thing. And then yeah. he can... I think it's a comedy. It is. It is, yeah. And he, like, he eventually convinces him. He's like, look at this. Do you see a ring? I'm not fucking married. Look at this place. Does it look like I have any money? He's in like a shitty apartment. Yeah. And so they're like, oh shit, yeah, we got the wrong place. And they leave. And then he's talking about this to like his two buddies at like his bowling club. Like yeah. they're they're part of a bowling team. One of them's like this spindly nerdy guy, and the other one's like this overweight Vietnam vet. You know, flat okay. top haircut, the big the big ass aviators, you know, and everything like there's a point where like somebody does like a rule violation and doesn't think they did and he gets into an argument with the vietnam guy and he out of his bowling bag he took takes a 45 pistol out and he's and points it at the guy's head and he's like you put that point on the board and your brains are going all over the something like that like he he's another comedy character where he's constantly over the top yeah and everything like he tries you just brought to me do... back to that quote from Doctor Who that you just said, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. But in the interim before the podcast, we won't get it in Doctor Who, but there's there's a, um, a episode I watched where uh, the new one, Matt Smith, is sitting at the president's desk, you know, in America in the 1960s. And um, he's like, oh, and the Secret Service have their guns trained on him. And he goes, uh, he's like, oh, but if you shoot me, you'll you'll never know why I'm here or how I got in here. Like, yeah, it's, uh, it's like being all smug, like, oh, they, you know, I've got them now. And River Song, like, bursts out of the fucking TARDIS and is like, they're Americans! And he immediately stands up and, like, surrenders. <laughs> the implication being, like, oh, a logical person wouldn't do this, but Americans, they're going to shoot him on sight. <laughs> and it's, it, I mean, it's funny because it's true. <laughs> Anyway, going back to the movie, and there's a reason I'm not spending so much time describing the plot of this movie, because the plot is absolute gibberish nonsense, Okay. but it is a hilarious, like, it's a hilarious movie, and there's a lot of gags in it, like, 
there's this very very austere serious scene where this billionaire is talking to him and he's sitting by the fire in his chair like in it, it's like a, a what would look like a very cinematic scene and there's him in the side there just like confused like what like just not really getting what the guy is saying mm. and um which is kind of a theme throughout the movie like usually the main character referred to as the dude um is either drinking a white russian or smoking pot yeah. for pretty much the whole movie um and the vietnam vet guy like comedy character about the movie he always comes up with these crazy over-the-top plans that always fail stupendously <laughs> um so course of the movie rug gets pissed on his friends convince him that he should go talk to this other guy also named lebowski that's the billionaire guy because they were after him and so he talks he goes up and confronts the guy and the guy uh like tells him to fuck off basically it's not his problem and as he's leaving the guy's manner the the uh like one random like dude who escorted him in is like oh you know uh how did how did your meeting with uh with mr lebowski go and he's like oh he told me i could take any rug in the house and so the guy believes him and he, he's walking out with a big ass rug and um meets the guy's wife who offers to um perform a certain act for a thousand bucks so it's, okay. it's clearly a trophy wife yeah and um, i don't have a thousand bucks but i have this splendid rug <laughs> yeah well anyway and so like he's getting escorted from the premises by the guy and over his shoulder he's like oh, i'll be back when i find a cash machine <laughs> anyway so it, it goes on and then like things take a twist when he um is called back to that guy's house right because in the, they're not angry over the rug but he's called back to that guy's house because the wife has been kidnapped. Okay. And so he's going to be used as a bagman. They'll pay him 20 grand, but he has to take a million to do it at a drop point or something like that. And he brings his Vietnam vet friend who... Why would they hire him? That's all part of the plot. This all gets tied up at the end. So... It's a crazy series of events. First of all, they fuck up the drop horribly. Then somebody steals their car, which has the money in it. Then they have to track down the car, and then they have to track down the money. And they realize that she's actually not been kidnapped by the people they think she's been kidnapped by. Also, he gets robbed by the daughter of the billionaire, who realizes the rug was a gift from her mother, and she doesn't want it gone. But she's like some crazy feminist art person who... T has like five minutes talking about vaginas um and then this is what i mean when the plot is gibberish but like it's just ba the plot is only there to string together a series of jokes in this movie yeah that's the best way to describe it yeah, yeah, yeah. um and it comes uh. to the end and you realize that she didn't get kidnapped mm. the billionaire kicked her out because he was sick of paying for her lazy ass and her there was somebody tailing him but it was her parents trying to get her back home because she ran away to los angeles right. from their family farm and what what else happened and then like the the billionaire actually didn't want her back so the 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 thing that supposedly had the million dollars in it just had two phone books in it and so when they fucked up the drop they were actually fucking up a fake drop 
and there's this whole thing with like some German metal band who are also trying to get the money because they start in a porn with the trophy wife and it it goes off the rails so fast they figure all of this out confront the guy about it and um he doesn't give a crap and kicks them out because she's actually back home now the trophy wife and running yeah. running around and stuff and it all you lost me but um, it does sound funny <laughs> it, it all culminates at the end where they're back at the bowling alley as if nothing has changed going on doing what they're doing and then this random cowboy at the bar narrates the ending just going like the dude abides i don't know about you but i feel good that someone out there is taking it easy for all the rest of us <laughs> or something like that and it's just <laughs> it's just this over-the-top weird parody of like every 90s movie trope yeah and i just i it made me laugh but i looked over at um kevin at the end of the movie and just both of us had the same expressions like what like that's the ending <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you, it, do you think it's gonna be one of those movies where if you watch it a second time it makes more sense or because i think that's the case with like pulp fiction I, I, think. I was trying to pull a lot more meaning out of it the first time through i think the second time i'll just enjoy the jokes <laughs> yeah because the first time watching it, I, I think this would be a good movie to watch after a few drinks, or maybe if you if you're into that sort of thing, if you were stoned. I watched this movie stone cold sober, and as a result, <laughs> when you said if you're into that kind of thing, I thought it was like what you're into people stealing rugs. That's a bit weird. <laughs> no, no, if, if you're yeah, if you're into smoking the dope, no. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I watched this movie completely sober, and I think that was the mistake. <laughs> Uh, because as a result my brain was trying to pull logic mm. and like try and like understand in reality I should have just laid back chilled and let it happen just 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 let the comedy come at me and let the chaos yeah. roll well it's um, not like you could hand the other two beers could you so <laughs> it makes sense no no I couldn't um, but yeah holy shit it, it, it's actually reminding me of um, because it's my turn to choose a movie next. Yeah, and I've been struggling to like. Although actually, like, sorry, just just for um fun little, uh, you said that, and I I do want to just say that real quick. Both both my cousins are actually drinking age in the UK. Yeah, yeah, but not here, but not in America. <laughs> America. Um, uh, yeah, something that I forgot that I wanted to watch, and but now you reminded me because it's kind of a comedy thing. Hmm. Uh, we're going to be watching Shaun of the Dead probably next. Oh, I yeah. I, I do want to see... That's one that... I've seen parodies of it, but I've never seen the movie itself. And I think I've, yeah, I've you've told probably you... probably seen a lot of clips and memes from it. Yeah. Well, I've told yeah. you the um, the parody I saw back in my 20s. Uh, Juan it was, of the Dead, right? Yeah, Juan of the Dead. The one where yeah. it's a zombie Pretty apocalypse fair. in Cuba. Shaun of the Dead is a parody of Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, so it's a parody of a parody. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah. I remember I had Well, a... is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, uh, about the Big Lebowski? Yeah. Oh, one other just, like, little funny bit. And I'll leave it on this because I feel like this comedy bit probably is a good encapsulation of the whole movie. Yep. Lebowski gets a call from 
the guy who owns the studio that does all these porn movies. Right. To go out to like his Malibu estate where there's you know, big open open fields and what well, a big a beach and there's a naked woman being thrown up on a trampoline and just, he goes into his his estate room and the guy is interrogating him about all the money that this girl owes him. Mm. And Lebowski tells him, "Oh, I know who has the money. He's drinking his white Russian." And then the guy is like, oh, it's like, okay, okay, okay. And he, he gets a phone call. It's like, oh, excuse me for a second. He jots something down on a notepad, takes the paper, and walks into the other room. And Lebowski does the classic, you know, you know, rub the pencil on the notepad oh, yeah. to see what was written there. And the guy had literally drawn a picture of a woman with a giant penis. <laughs> and that was it. And he realized that the guy was playing him to try and, like, see what happened. And so he takes, t- he rips it off and quickly shoves it, like, in his pocket and then sits yeah. back down like, you know, nothing happened. And the guy gives him another drink and this one's laced with something to knock him out. And um, he wakes up later, like, running along the highway and he gets arrested. And the uh, the sheriff is like, you know, he doesn't want him in the town. And yeah. he, he's going through his wallet and he finds the, that picture <laughs> in his wallet. And, and Lebowski is, like, just, just like, Man, I don't, I don't know what happened. Like, why are you being such a dick? And the the police officer throws a coffee cup at his face, an empty one, and just knocks oh, him okay. out, and then has him thrown out of the uh, thrown out. <laughs> Jesus, standard but, operating procedure. Yeah, it, and it's one of those um, classic like insult quotes. This is this is one scene I'd seen um, in like compilation videos before. But the police officer's like, I don't like your jerk off face. I don't like your jerk off name. Yeah, and I don't like you jerk off <laughs> I can't think of what that's from that's from something else it's from Big Lebowski no, no I, I I think it came from something before that I could be wrong maybe but I'm 90% it's sure true. it's from this movie originally because all okay. the, the clips I've seen from like best insults in movies or something like that it was this clip right okay Anyway, that that's the last scene, and I think that really encapsulates the movie. Just, there, there's so many funny bits in it, like that. Yeah. But go on. What were you going to talk about? Um, so I did actually watch something. I wouldn't call it a movie, mm-hmm. uh, but Alicia did. Uh, so I was around hers, and yeah. we were watching the um, performance that she had done because mm-hmm. it had been recorded because of the whole COVID thing. Yeah. Of uh, Chicago. Okay. Did I actually tell you about this? Not that I can think of. I know, like, it sounds familiar, like I knew she was doing something like this, but... Yeah. And I've heard so, of Chicago, but I've never... I'm not familiar with the play. or the. Yeah, well, I hadn't heard of it either. And, um, it was interesting. I think I told you what I'm about to say next. Um, so, we were, I was over hers, and... Like, some family and friends are over as well to watch it. And, uh... There were a couple of, um... Like, teenagers, right? Mm. Um, they were friends of the family. And... <laughs> Chicago is not a... Not family-friendly? Yeah, family-friendly? Yeah! Don't get me wrong. Their performance of it was a lot more toned down than what the actual performance is. I found out later that actually the original performance is basically done in, you know, lingerie. Um, 
But uh, maybe I do need was... to look into this. <laughs> Mental note. <laughs> um, but no, they were, they were wearing like dresses and things. Um, and it was a story about. Uh, it's it's kind of got a weird feminist vibe to it. Mm. Um, but it's not. It's it's um, obviously set in Chicago and. A woman uh, is cheating on her husband, mm-hmm. and then the person she's cheating with basically like stands her up, mm-hmm. and so she shoots him. Mm-hmm. And then the husband is like, "Nah, fuck you! I'm reporting you to the police." Yeah. So As he does would. that. Well, this I'm, is honestly thing. That, that's that's pretty civil of him. Um, like, there's. There's enough drastic topics in this that people could very easily find argument, right? Yeah. Like, some people might say, "Oh, if you caught, if if you knew your wife was cheating, um, take very drastic measure." And yeah. there's also people who'd be like, "Well, maybe she was in the right somehow." I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I've never... So, okay, no, I need to stop you there. That's something that I, I need to talk about. Like, my... I've... In my life, I have been cheated on before. Yeah. And I'm the kind of person where I would never do that sort of thing. Like, no. anytime I'm in a relationship, I am with that person. 100%. Yeah. I can fully understand the emotional reaction of, you know, taking things too far. Um I obviously don't advocate that, and it's clearly wrong, because now you're in the wrong, too. But my my attitude to that is, you you find out, you know, your girlfriend, your wife is cheating on you, you turn that bitch out on the street. It's like, get out of my house right now. Like, that relationship is over that moment. Yeah. That's my attitude towards it. Don't do anything violent, don't do anything illegal, but you cut ties. You know, fuck that person. Don't, Don't care what the excuse is, don't care what the reason is, get out. So something I have a little husband. bit of a, a personal no, personal background on, but go on. Um, the husband is like a mechanic, right? Mm-hmm. And the wife goes to this group for I don't know. It's some kind of like group of women who have all been prosecuted or are being prosecuted. And okay, the leader of that group, I say it's a leader. It's it's more like um. A place where you can go to ask for help, kind of thing. Yeah, it's a support group. Yeah, kind of, but it's like a business at the same time. Well, they, I mean, they they have those. So, like, you can um, in the UK actually, I know about these. They have um, <clears throat> they have like uh, these these charity organizations that will help people who have been victims of crimes, or mm. who net or who like uh have criminal records but they're also victims or something like that um yeah they exist and they, and they so, do operate as a as a business that you know they'll lend out financial aid and stuff like that but go on so the cheating wife went there and they said okay we'll get you in contact with this this lawyer and this lawyer is brilliant he's done loads of cases like this before mm-hmm. um but you'll have to pay him uh, i can't remember how much money it was like f- five grand i want to say which, if this was, I'm I assuming this was, set, this was set in. Prob- if I'm guessing, probably like the you know, 
early 1900s, first half of the century. So five five thousand dollars would have been quite a sum, if that's the right. case. And so she's not got that money because she doesn't have a job. And so she goes to the the the, the cheated on husband and is like, "Oh, please, I still love you. Please pay for it for me." Um, and he's like, "Oh, okay then." <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> Take your fucking balls out of your purse. What the fuck is wrong with this guy? Yeah, I don't like the way they treat this dude in the in the thing. Like, like this guy got know. done dirty and he's still paying for her. L- <sighs> yeah. Anyway, Go um, on. but he so he goes to the, he goes to the lawyer and he's like, look, I've got all this money. I it's not enough, but I, I'm gonna try and get you the rest. Her father said he'll pay the rest of it. And the lawyer turns around and is like, I've already speak, spoken to her father, and her father said that he would rather see her in hell than alive, basically. I don't even know who um, this chick is, and I already think that. And so the lawyer's like, you've lied to me, uh, but I'll still take your money, and the rest will get by making her a, uh, a star in the press, and basically selling off her shit. Okay. Yeah, I can. She becomes yeah. like a, a showgirl, basically. Yeah, so so he takes her and she's like, okay. No, he says, um, you know, you need to look like a victim. The truth isn't what's going to make you innocent. The story is, right? And that, oh God, that that is something. God, that's so true. That, that happens so often that like, go on. Yeah. So instead of it being, instead of, you know, you just shot the guy when he was cr- crawling out the window. No, he was reaching for the gun at the same time that you were, and you got to it first, and you panicked and just shot him, kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's a strategy uh, of poisoning every jury so that they can't actually look at things objectively. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so she got big in the press, and then, um, you know, they auctioned off her shoes and dresses and stuff, and was worth a lot more because suddenly she was a yeah. public figure. People are collecting relics instead of just buying a pair of shoes. Yeah. And... I can't try what happened next. It was like a pretty long play. I think it was like two hours. Um, and there was a lot of musical numbers in it, which I'm... I'm not even going to try. There was... Uh, uh, fun little, little trivia factoid here. Um, do you know why almost all movies and plays are between one and two hours? No. Shakespeare. He he determined that the things that... Like, his strategy was always like, if I go longer than two hours, people will lose... Like, they'll, they'll stop paying attention and they'll get bored. If I go yeah. shorter than one hour, people will feel like they got gypped. So all of his plays are designed to be between one and two hours. And right, okay. that was the standard that, that people went on from, from then on. So it's... Yeah. That's where it originates from. Just a little, little piece of trivia. Yeah. Go on. Um, and then, oh god, what happens? She uh, starts losing... So, another woman murders her husband. Yeah. Because he was sleeping around. And suddenly the spotlight's on her. And then, to take the spotlight was back... He, hold on, was he sleeping around after... He kicked her out? He's a, he is a completely new character. Oh, okay. The guy that gets shot is... Like, the guy that gets shot and the new girl whose wife... Who was the wife are two new characters. 
So it's it's so the this... opposite situation of the first two characters where yeah. the guy was sleeping Except... around and the wife wasn't. Except it's still the woman that shot the person. Yeah. Um, so suddenly she comes into the spotlight and she is uh, not at all playing the game. She's just like, fuck that guy. I would do it again kind of thing, even in front of the press. Mm. Uh, so she's taking all the, the attention. Yeah. And this uh, original woman is like, oh, shit, I need all that attention because my court date's coming up. Um, and so she feigns like, she faints and she's like, oh, I must be pregnant now with someone else's child. Like, oh. with the, the, the person that she shot's child. Yeah. And so the husband who got cheated on is like, what the fuck, you have another man's child now? And, the, <laughs> and she's after like, oh. this guy, like, fronted some money for her legal defense, too. She's like, oh, but, you know, I... I still really love you and stuff like that. And so he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I still love you too, actually. So I'm going to stand on the stand and say, you know, it doesn't matter. We still love each other. And she's a really great girl kind of thing. Uh, I wish I wish I was there was a camera for this. Like, this segment <laughs> you could see the fucking look on my face right now. <laughs> Also, I am probably butchering the story, I apologize, but I'm trying to get the, the main points. Yeah. Um And then the the like before the, the trials are already finished, basically. Well, like as soon as the hammer goes down, right? <clears throat> all of the journalists and stuff just fuck off. <laughs> Cause she's proven innocent. Yeah. Not important anymore. They all disappear. And she's like, oh shit, I need I need that fix of attention still. Um, and so she gets really, like, angry. And so she and, starts uh, an OnlyFans. <laughs> and so, and, and so she's with her husband afterwards. Yeah. And he's like, this is great, you know, you've been acquitted, we can go and be happy again. And she's like, this isn't fucking great, I hate this. And he's, he's like, but we can have that child now. And she's like, the child's not real, you idiot. <laughs> I'm like, oh... I feel so bad for this poor cunt. <laughs> um, and he just kind of, he just gets depressed and just walks off stage. And I don't think you see him again. Um, I... Go on. I have not seen this play. But I can tell it's... There's a few musicals that have a message... That, like, hmm. they, they make the people that, in my mind, are the villains out to be the heroes. And this woman sounds like that. I think she definitely does come across as a villain. Like, she is manipulating people all the time. She's getting pissy at the people that are actually helping her. Um, and then she fucking, like, the, she's like, oh, I'm free! But, oh, now that I'm free, I'm not getting all this attention. Yeah. Well, I mean, that could have been why she was, like, cheating on her husband in the first place. Because she wanted the attention. Yeah, but um, yeah, there's some really good. Um, oh, just to finish up the the, the performance, um, she then goes with another character I haven't mentioned at all because she's not super key. Um, she goes with basically the equivalent of her, but the last iteration. Yeah. So she stole the limelight from this last girl, mm -hmm. and they basically go on the road as like a a dancing duo uh, 
because I think they they were both always dancers, or they I don't know. Anyway, uh, so yes, they 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 end up performing as like the two murderous wives kind of thing their their act. Um, and yeah, that that's kind of how it goes. But uh, <sighs> there is one really like. So the the part that Alicia played, yeah, she I, I genuinely think she did really really fucking well. There were I don't want to critique people that didn't do great because it's almost like what th- out of curiosity what, what what part did she play? So she played the um, the head of the the women's guild. <laughs> <laughs> that's the nerdiest fucking way I could have put that, but that's the way that makes sense to me. Um, I'm picturing like a Morrowind faction. So, she she actually appears throughout the story because she's like the the person that pe- all the women go to whenever they're whenever they've done something wrong. She's the it's like the godmother. Cool. It's like the godfather. Yeah, exactly. But she, exactly. She's just sitting there. So you've come to me with a problem. Well, like the very first scene you see her in as that role. She's literally just sitting at a desk in the middle, legs crossed, with, like, a black suit on. And, like, someone is coming in to ask her for help. And God. It's great. I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm remembering the, the opening scene in The Godfather. Just the, um... You owe me nothing, but sometime, and it may never come, I will come to you and ask for a favor. Hmm. You come to me on the night of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> oh my god, sorry. Uh, go on. But yes, so, um... It's also really weird, because Alicia, as you know, is like the most bounciest, happiest person around. Hmm. And this character is like... A kind of a shady, <laughs> business-dealing... Chicago person. By the way, she had to put on the Chicago accent. For the whole thing as well. I'd be curious just, to hear her so American strange. accent, but go on. Yeah. Yeah, um... She played the the character she played was called um, Big Mama. Oh my god! It really is a Godfather kind of character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah. The the one other the one other person I thought did an amazing job was the uh, the lawyer. Mm-hmm. The person who played the lawyer. Now, uh, Alicia will say I'm biased because he's he's pretty. <laughs> I'm just saying. But. Uh, yeah, he, he was doing a, one of the songs, and he was, like, doing magic tricks while singing the song, whilst acting. That's, so he's, like, literally, he's walking yeah. down steps, juggling, while singing. Yeah, that's some crazy <laughs> He gets to the bottom, asking. he does, like, uh, like, a whole bunch of other magic tricks. He has, like, a, he's handed a wallet, which, like, when he opens it up, catches fire, and when he closes it again, it cuts out. Uh, like, and apparently they had, like, a bucket of sand ready in case the whole thing just fucking exploded. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that is when you know. When you have to take <laughs> contingencies for things getting lit on fire, that's when you know you have a good play. Yeah. Uh, and god, no, it was just... It was a really good performance all around. Um, so... <laughs> oh my god. It, it Honestly, it sounds interesting, but yeah, no, I just... The, the, both of those women sound like villains. Although, the one that shot her husband over, like, him cheating all the time and stuff like that, that one I can have a little bit more sympathy with. 
Yeah, she uh, she was obviously like a pretty horrible person because she was just yeah. constantly screaming at people. Um, yeah, it, but at the same time, there's yeah. um. I just feel bad for the mechanic, dude. I yeah no I feel ba- yeah I feel bad for the first husband like. Just, anyway, so speaking of plays, just and this is the last thing because we are coming up on the on time for the segment, and we're going to take a lot of time talking about uh, the second half of Morningstar. I realize I think what I might actually do, which I've never done before, is record an intro um, after we finish the podcast because I realized at the beginning of this. I didn't do my normal, oh, this podcast, we're talking about this in segment one, this in segment two, this oh in segment Oh my god, three. did you not? No, I didn't. Well, no, we, you we, don't normally do that. We, well, I have been. I started doing it. For the last three okay. podcasts, that's what I've been doing. Anyway. I see your skeptical look, but I have been. Go back and listen to them. Um, just on the subject of plays, I there's one that, so back in high school, um, my first girlfriend, like, she was big into like theater and stuff like that mm. and one of the plays that her and her friends were obsessed with was Rent yes you're talking about this is the French one where you fucking hated the main character and everyone else was like is it French? didn't you say it was French? I don't think it's French I think it's oh, set okay. in the US anyway the idea is some, some fucking because la- there's AIDS in it so it has to be from the US <laughs> <laughs> What? No, it's a, it's a major plot point. People Gay have AIDS. people don't bang? <laughs> what I'm saying is the plot of the movie is... Wait, did I say gay people? You did say gay people. I meant French people. I'm no, sorry. No, no, it's synonyms. You, you get them mixed up. It's fine. <laughs> I'm so, very sorry to any French people out there. Go on. I'm not. So we... The movie is about a bunch of layabout, lazy, fucko people who have a loft apartment that they do artist things in. I guess they're they're rehearsing a play or they're making music or they're doing something. I've rage blocked a lot of this play out of my mind. <laughs> and one of their friends decides to get out and make a life for himself. And so he, mm. you know, gets gets an education, gets a nice job, gets a nice suit, starts making money. And he ends up working for the real estate company that owns the building they're in. And they don't want to pay rent because they're lazy hippies. And so he, their old friend, has the job of coming in and telling them, you got to pay the rent, otherwise you're getting kicked out. And the whole musical is about them being lazy fuckheads and not paying the rent. And somehow they're the heroes for that. And everyone also has AIDS. Including the guy who got the job. Oh, because he used to be with Has them he been and sleeping he, with the enemy. Well, he, well, he caught he caught AIDS from them or something. Well, HIV. Right. AIDS is the condition. This is something people get mixed up all the time. HIV is the virus. AIDS is the condition that develops from having the virus for a prolapsed period of time or for a prolonged period of time, not prolapsed. Okay. <laughs> That's a whole other ball. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so that that was. I don't know, it's just... Oh god, I hated that musical so much. Yeah. But it was another It was another example of the people who, in my eyes, were the villains are portrayed as the heroes. And I feel like that that's something that happens in a lot of musicals. Not all of them. Like, I and I'm, I'm not just against musicals in general. Like, uh, Less Miserables, fucking love that one. 
I know it's Les Miserables, but I refuse to speak in French or gay. That's why I didn't say anything, because we've had this discussion like 20 (laughs) times. And I I really love Sweeney Todd. Another good one. Also true. Um, Yeah, I think you don't like when people have the ability to do better for themselves, and then they don't. Yeah. Well, and it's it's my my ad. I, I don't I don't make any like I don't we don't talk about politics really on this at all, but mm. I mean it shouldn't, um. be a, it shouldn't be well not not really it shouldn't be a mystery though that like my my politics I'm libertarian like I think that people should be free to do what they want and that you should you know if you if you want something go out and earn it do like mm. work hard get it. I feel like politics are a lot like sexual identity. Are they? How, how do you put it? Okay, hold on, I want to hear this. Well, it's like... There are people who are like, I'm definitely in this group, or I'm definitely in this group. Oh, so you're saying like people who are independent are like uh, bisexual? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm, sorry, I was guessing the end point of your argument. Go on, go on. Well, no, because I was like, okay, so I don't really... Personally... I don't really, I was going to say, identify as any political standing. Like, yeah, I believe in what I believe in. I'm not going to, like, align myself to any particular well, and, pol- and, political party. Well, and that that is um, kind of how I've always been. I think when I say libertarian, I mean, that's why I say I'm not a libertarian, but my politics are closest to libertarian. Right. Because, like, I, I don't know, growing yeah. up, like... The, the two big parties in the U.S. are obviously, you know, Democrat and Republican. My, my parents have never been with either. Like, growing up, they were both independent. They'd vote for the person they liked the best. It didn't matter what party they were in. And I've done the same thing my whole life. It's like, I don't care, like, what party they're in. I care what they're saying. That's what I'm getting from this, Kaiser, is you're not gay, but it's where you're closest to. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, did you mean gay or did you mean French? <laughs> this is like the old there are no Britons in England there are no Britons in so uh, that uh, that joke is worth explaining um, one one night and this was back in the early it's days it's even of, a joke it was just a slip of the tongue it was in early early days of the YouTube channel and we were mostly doing uh, uh, player unknown battlegrounds PUBG videos yeah. and um, Blue you me and I think it was Heart at the time um, the the girl that played with yeah. us for a while yeah, and yeah. kind of fucked off. Uh, so the three of us had been drinking and we were playing PUBG and Blue, I was recording it and Blue goes like, "There's there's no Britons in England," <laughs> and he didn't believe me the next day that he had said that and I showed him back the clip. I and think so I did believe it because I remember, like, as I was no, doing it, I was like, oh, "I fucked th- up." That that night you did, but the next morning okay. you didn't I believe promise. me, and I had to show you the clip back. You were you were right. vehemently denying it. There was what were we talking about? There was some, you. The, it was based on a, a line that would make sense. I, it I was think, like no, we were so what we. There's a reason we were talking about. I'm surprised I still remember this conversation. We were talking about like uh, national like animals and stuff like that, and you were talking about how the uh, British, you know, they have lion motifs everywhere, and you were trying to say there are no lions in England. Oh, okay. I thought I thought it was going to be like you were saying. Someone was saying that Wales is in 
England as opposed to Wales is in Britain. No, no, no. We were talking about and I was like, saying there are no Welsh in England. Yeah, no, no. You were you were trying to say there were no lions in England because you've right. got the lion on the 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 motif of the, uh, the royal family. Zoos. It, yeah, technically, but they're not native there. <laughs> Scots, Scotland's got a unicorn. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's Scotland. They were probably drunk. <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of a more I'm not sorry. Scottish animal though than unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to cut this off. But we we were at time before we started talking about this, and now we're just telling stories and going. It's like Afghanistan having a penguin on their flag. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Throwback to segment one. Oh my god. <laughs> anyway. For an episode that started so serious, this got goofy fast. <laughs> Alright. You know, I'm, I'm calling it there. This is kind of the end of segment two of the TMCJ podcast. Um, thank you all for listening, and you will hear us again momentarily for segment three. <laughs> Welcome back to the TMCJ Podcast. We are on segment three, our wild card segment, and we are back after a while to finish up the long, long, long-going book review of the Red Rising trilogy. We, we've done six segments on this now, and we yeah. took a break on this one because we wanted to do that uh, that little choose-your-own-adventure tangent. Ever since we started doing these, the book review for this series, all of our normal schedules gone out of time. Oh yeah, we haven't done a quiz segment in months. Yeah. We do need to bad. get back to that, by the way. Maybe. I think we could do that next week. Like planning it now. Mm. Is it, I think it's... Am I doing a quiz for you, or are you You're doing a quiz for the, me? The, yeah, the next turn is you doing a quiz for me. Okay, what's the theme going to be? Well, I don't know. We could uh, talk about... Do you want me to just random pull some shit for it? Because I, I come up with some wacky shit. I mean, it's Keep it it, we're coming up on September. Holiday in September is Labor Day. You could do a quiz about communism. <laughs> that sounds boring as fuck. I'm gonna okay. come up with something mad. That's, that sounds okay. So for me, it sounds interesting, but I'm a nerd about that sort of shit. Anyway, oh, yeah, it's gonna be. Ah, how is your knowledge of dinosaur pole? <laughs> no. Twenty questions here counts. No more tacos. <laughs> all right. This is gonna be a bit. These are always long ones, so I don't want to waste too much time. Yes. Uh, so we left off last time after we had gotten to the ice fields. Ragnar had, um, had had Ragnar died at this point. I think. So I'll I'll just recap what happened. The, yeah. Like the Reaper's back. He does his big intros on the uh, Phobos, the moon of Mars, and he takes a shuttle with Mustang and Ragnar and the gray chick. Uh, who rescued him from being stuck in the Jacko's Fortress. Uh, they get shot down. Ragnar does this badass move, firing a rocket launcher out the back of the shuttle, takes down the other shuttle. Blue is pantomiming this whole thing, which is its really hard for me to keep a straight face. Um, Such a gay face. They... Fuck off. <laughs> a French face? Um, <laughs> they, they land on the... Well, land. They crash. And after a while, they manage to all regroup, get everyone together. Mustang's being attacked by a sea monster, but they rescue her. They eat a fuckload of pasta. Um, what? They eat, a, they eat a lot of pasta. Because the only For thing... Start, the only thing in their ration... Pasta. Pasta? Why do you say pasta? <laughs> I don't say pasta! This isn't a fucking 
churchgoer that I'm eating. <laughs> pasta. Pasta. Like, imagine like you're saying hasta, like hasta la vista, but it's pasta. Pasta. I, there's, there's too much Boston in my accent to say that without going to, ah, pasta. Pasta. <laughs> anyway, yeah, go on. Pasta. Um, so they, they eat a whole fuckload of that because that's the only thing that it could recover from the rations. They warm up, and then they go off to try and figure out what happened to the rest of the crew. Cannibals, the golds got eaten, um, and they find uh, Aja and Cassius being pursued by these cannibals and fighting them off. Um, uh, Grey Chick hides out with a sniper rifle, Mustang's got a bow, and Ragnar and uh, Darrow have razors. They go off after them, the... the uh, cannibals get chased off, but they end up in a very intense duel with uh, Cassius and Aja. Um, Ragnar does his best, but he gets cut up. Aja kills him. Uh, Cassius gets shot in the throat. Aja goes over a cliff. And uh, Ragnar is dying. And right where Ragnar is dying, uh, they see griffins circling up above. And uh, griffins, again, be having been created by the, the carvers, the people who make these weird chimera creatures. And again, it's all supposed to contribute to the um, mythology they use to keep the obsidians in servitude. Mm. So um, Hagrid flies down. Sorry. You're a wizard, Harry. Um, it turns out to be Ragnar's sister, who they describe as equally, like burly as him so like basically two eight foot tall giant not not as burly but they're, shorter. they're still gigantic compared to the golds yeah um she gives him an axe so he can die like a warrior he throws the axe down and grabs snow in her hand and says no live for more and then he dies and so at this point they're escorted back to the uh the place the the the, citadel. the village of the obsidians yeah um, and Cash is just taken off in another direction, still with a fucking arrow in his throat. Um, I mean... Alive. Could, yeah, he's alive. Like, I think later in the book they established that it missed his jugular by, like, that much. Like, tiny, tiny amount. Um, and there, uh, Mustang and Darrow are taken to see the, uh, Ragnar's mother, who they find, like, kind of... With her son in her laps, like grieving, like with his blood on his her hands, like you know, grieving essentially. Yeah, physically, um, not metaphorically. Yeah, and uh, she also is described as being gigantic. Um, and I think they also established at this point that the um, the obsidians have a matriarchal society, so like the women are the head of everything. And yeah, and also it's very like Stone Age. Hmm. And they believe in gods. They do. But through this conversation where Darrow tries to convince um, his mother, like Ragnar's mother, to side with him and the gods aren't real and that they're just men like anything else, um, he realizes very quickly that just like the Gammas back in his mine, they're like the favored lower class. So like his mother knows. She knows that they're not not gods. She's in on the jig, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And she she has a very good line which kind of establishes why why she is like you going along with this. 
and she says something along the lines of, um, like, what would you feel more, or what would you fear more, a god or a man with the power of a god? Yeah. And that's when he realizes, oh shit, she knows, and she's, she's just siding with them because she knows if she crosses them, her people are getting nuked. Yeah. What are you doing uh, on your desk, by the way? Sorry? What are you doing on your desk, by the way? Sorry, I forgot all that came through. Uh, I, I can I can cut the sound out in in, in post, but just I, uh, yeah. What were you saying? Yeah, she's a bit. She she's very pragmatic. I was gonna use a stronger word. Okay, what was <laughs> what were you gonna say? Um, yeah, you really don't like this this woman, um, and she is actively putting her own family in the line of fire in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, to uphold her way of life, really. That's kind of how I saw it, anyway. I, and I, I, I took a more sympathetic line towards her. Like, I saw it as, like, she knows that she can't beat the golds, right? She knows that they, they're flying above her, and if she rebels or if she does anything, like, to cross them, they're gonna, you know, rain down fire from space. Yeah. And so she's just doing her best to, like, her... She's being very pragmatic. She's keeping her family safe by upholding the status quo. Cause she yeah, and she tries to get Darrow and the whole lot, like, killed. Yeah, yeah. She she ends up, like, binding and gagging them and sends them off with her daughter to go up to um, Asgard, which is the floating island where the golds are monitoring the obsidians and making sure that, you know, things are going right there. Just like Mount Olympus from the first book. Exactly. Where they were at the academy. Or the Institute. Um, anyway, so they get up there, and Darrow realizes uh, through a few subtle hints that, like, oh, I might be able to turn the daughter. Uh, Sefi, I think her name is? Yeah, I think so. It's something, it that starts with an S, but I, I think her name is Sefi. I'm, again, this is the issue with doing this review. Like, it's been a month since I finished the book. So I think that was the name, that was like the pet name that Rag. Ragnar gave her. Yeah, I think she had a longer name. Um, But anyway, so he realizes through a few subtle hints that he could probably convince her. And so he gets, manages to get a private word with her, and, you know, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he makes an argument and, you know, references Ragnar's last words and talks to her about, like, just, she still thinks that this could be heresy and she could be damned for doing this. Yeah. But she eventually, um kind of agrees to go along with his plan and mm. give in the same way that like the first time that Ragnar held a razor he was terrified of it right because it was heresy you were it was yeah. death on the ice by starvation if you touched one of the weapons of the gods yeah um and so he does manage to convince her and so they get put into an audience chamber with the two people who are overseeing um, I think the one of them is playing the part of Loki, and one of them is playing the part of Freya, maybe. Yeah, um, they could have made up their own gods, but you know why? Yeah, why? why don't fix why ain't broke? Yeah, exactly. Go, go, go with the uh, the Norse ones. Anyway, yeah, and the same motherfucker from the institute. Well, that there. that's what I'm getting to. So oh, he okay, he jumps up and um, as proof to uh, to Sefi, like she had slipped him a razor and like got his restraints off. And, or slipped him a weapon of some kind. And so he, mm. he jumps up with Mustang and the two of them like take out the, the two golds there. And 
the one that they subdue turns out to be exactly the same motherfucker from that was playing uh, the head of House Mercury in the Institute. God, I'm surprised you remember what house he was from. I have a good mind for random details. There's a reason I remember mm. all this like random trivia that I can talk about on the podcast. Yeah. Um, I'm terrible though with names and specifics. Like when you start talking about like general conversations or people's names, yeah. it just goes out of my mind. Um, but very specific like bits of detail, I gotcha. Um, so. They manage to take that out. Sefi executes the uh, the two golds that are there. Um, Ragnar arms them. They go back, lead a coup amongst the obsidians. Sefi rallies all the other. Did obsidians. you just say Ragnar arms them? Oh, sorry, Sefi. Oh, sorry, uh, Darrow. <laughs> Darrow arms them. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of obsidians, and I'm, I said, yeah. Anyway, Darrow arms them, and then they go back. They take over the gold thing. He, um, sorry, the obsidian thing. Uh, Sefi kills her mother and yeah. then takes over as Pretty the leader. Recently, if I recall. Yeah, no, it was... It, well, they they do a lot to establish that the Obsidians are a very brutal tribal people. Yeah. I think she does give her a last chance, maybe? Uh, yeah, remember. she does, and then the mother, like, uh, is basically... Like, fuck you. Yeah, no, like, fuck you, you're, you're making a huge mistake, this is awful, and then um, Sefi takes her out. Yeah, and then she rallies the people to them, and then they uh, they head back, and they find out that uh, Severo has taken over like a good chunk of the fleet. Like he's 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 stolen <laughs> he some does. ships. Um, <laughs> they they bring all the obsidians back and try to integrate them with the rest of the the hidden city that they're all in. Um, yep. They still have Cassius as a prisoner. He didn't die. Um, they managed to get the arrow out of his neck and you know patch him up. Yep. Um, and Darrow, Darrow actually has a few hearts to or heart to hearts with him, um, which is interesting because they they have... they've been through a lot. <laughs> they've been through a, it, it's one of those weird bromances because yeah, Cassius hates him for killing several of his brothers, but uh, pretty much only hates him for killing the one. Let's face it. Yeah, just just the yeah the baby of the family. Yeah, I always thought after the point where Cassius saw him a broken man, that broke Cassius' own spirit, and he was like, "Yeah, he's still a piece of shit, but the side that I'm on is also a massive piece of shit. And so they, they actually start to bond over the fact that both their sides are, like, they've both done some really shitty things, and neither of them have the high ground. Yeah. Um, but that, that fully manifests later. For the time being, uh, they are... They're back at the city, kind of trying to regroup and figure out what exactly they're going to do. And after a while of talking, negotiating, figuring stuff out, they realize what they need to do is they need to get the, the Moon Lords on side. Like the people yep. who are, you know, commanding the moons of Jupiter and Moonlords. Saturn. <laughs> Just thinking of Sailor Moon. Um, so they, they, they head out there to try and do that, essentially. And cut forward, Darrow is meeting with one of the, the biggest lords on one of the moons of Saturn. And they make a point of how like low the gravity is and everything and mm. everyone's really Is this floating. in like the, the garden? Yeah, the garden, right. Yeah. And it's you know, Darrow realizes at the door he sees extra boots there, uh, that Roke, the mm. commander of the uh 
the sovereign's Fabii. fleet. Yeah, Rokal Fabii, um, which is a appropriately posh and soft name for this character. Uh, he's not stupid, though. He isn't. No, they they make a point of that. He's he's very bookish. Mm. And very he's the best commander in the fleet. Yeah, he's very bookish like, and very proper, but he's not like a man's man. Like, no. he's an intellectual. You can see him leading a warship, like that old man leading a warship, kind yeah. of captaining it, but not being the one on like the front well, line firing the guns. If you if you remember um, when we watched uh, Way of the Samurai, or sorry, The Last Samurai, mm. uh, there was that that uh, that tiny old commander at the very beginning. Yeah, and the way the main character in that movie describes him is a a small man who nonetheless commands enormous respect. And that being said, I think Rogue has I have less respect for Rogue because he did do that coup at the party, like yeah, backstab Rogue... motherfucker. Yeah, there's I could go on for hours about like the psychological mm. reasons and the social reasons that humans are so adverse to betrayal. Yeah, I think. Particularly in the last book, the emotions really show where Cassius and Roke both seem like broken people. Like because they both of them are. their their society, their way of life has caused them to betray like an almost familial bond, a brotherhood. Yeah. And um, you can still see that in Roke in this book. So what happens is the Moon Lord reveals, uh, you know, when they go into the house, that Roke has also approached him at the same time. And they're there under like a banner of peace, so no one has weapons, and it's it's Roke, and it's Darrow, and it's Mustang, and it's the Lord. And they're mm. they're kind of at basically they're both trying to get the loyalty of this guy. Yeah. And now they there's talk about a very important point in history. There's something that I glossed over here, and I'm gonna come back to it now. While okay. they were at the when they after they got the obsidians and they went back to the city, they find out and it's revealed through some of their scouts and some of their spying that there's a cache of like something like crazy power like 500 megaton nuclear warheads yeah and like all of the houses are allowed to have a certain amount of 50 megaton nuclear warheads things that will you know can be used in space combat but won't be a, a threat to a, a planet is that io that got it's, glassed um no, I don't think it's. I, it was one of the. It was one of the moons that got like completely nuked to oblivion because he. Yeah, they're like remember. I can't remember what the moon. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, neither can I. I don't think it was Io, but it was one of the moons of Jupiter, I believe, that got yeah. that got completely fucked over. In the past. In the past. By the Empire. Yeah, and it was basically they were rebelling, and the Sovereign sent out a fleet, um, and just completely glassed the planet with nukes. Yeah. And so, Might probably a, a, a reference to kind of America and and Japan a little bit. I mean, there's a bit of that, yeah. But we didn't yeah. we didn't glass Japan. We hit two cities. True. Two cities <laughs> with with relatively weak warheads, like the kind of nukes that they have now. Oof, you could wipe yeah. out like an entire like state. Don't want to get back on that. So. Um, Not even Scotland's unicorns could stop those boys. <laughs> they, they poke them in orbit with the horn. Um, oh my god, I completely Sorry. lost my place. Uh, so yeah, so the 
what they discovered in the city after they got back from the obsidians and there's a reason i didn't yeah. talk about it at the time i was waiting until this scene to to bring it up they they're scouts they're red scouts that are like infiltrating and stuff they mm. find that there is a a cache in the asteroid belt right in between the inner planets and the outer planets that is it it was packed with like 500 megaton nuclear planet killers is what they call it uh, yeah i think that's what they call it. planet busters or killers yeah 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 something like that and it has been cleaned out now they their intelligence tells them that it was the jackal that took them but the what but they use this as a negotiating piece like you know uh uh roke is starting to sway the the moon lords with like promises of you know loyalty and more independence yeah, and all land this. back yeah whereas and then darrow is like okay roke's winning i gotta play my trump card and he he pulls yeah. out the oh here's some footage and just lets it happen yeah because roke has Shit already promised them that like you know the, the sovereign won't do anything like that planet they glass before yeah. again and now they see that there's this giant cache of weapons in the asteroid belt on the way out to their planets yeah, to, to give some context, there are still nukes allowed in yeah. in the universe. But they limit but them to 50 megatons, and they limit them to a certain exactly. quantity. There's yeah. like a Geneva Convention-esque thing where you cannot have a certain tonnage. Yeah. And um, I don't think Rogue even knew about the cash, did he? He didn't. And that's he what fucked know. him. It's like he made yeah. that, that swear that, like, yo, this, isn't, this, this will never happen again. The Sovereign you know, endorses this. And yeah. then when Daryl was revealed that, it made him look like a massive hypocrite. Yeah. And that's what finally sways them, and they all, they do end up siding with Daryl. Unhappily, but yes. <laughs> Unhappily, but yes. Yeah. Um, then, this all culminates in a massive space battle between yeah. Roke and Daryl's fleet. So the Moon Lords and Roke. They don't just shoot him while he's at the cup. The oh, no, no, no. They're actually it, honorable. They, they are honorable. They're under a banner of peace. And they, they respect that. So, they, th- that is something that I actually... Of all the horrible bits of this society that's depicted in these books, there's some there's part of me that has always had a lot of respect for societies that value honor to that degree. Like Yes and no. I mean, they, the they, actual they, societies, the ones that were bringing the nukes around and not the people that were hosting the meeting there. That's true. What what I mean is the um, the social decorum. Like there's yeah. there's an appeal to me in like a uh, in a person to person setting. There's there's a certain degree of respect, a certain degree of honor between people. Yeah, like a lot like medieval chivalry, where there is this class system, and but they they're still like duels and things. Mm. Um, but it's all very regimented. Yeah, and and steeped in. You know, this whole mythos. Anyway, I don't want to get on to that topic, because again, yeah, this is probably something we could talk about quite a bit. So, they end up getting going to battle uh, with Roke, and um, Darrow pulls some crazy maneuver, because he knows that Roke is already in his head. Mm. And so he he's like, he has to think of a way to get at him that, like, he would never think of. And so he uses the reds. 
and their claws. Also, turns. Rogue, I think his fleet way outmatches Darrow's. Oh yeah, yeah. I think Rogue has has more ships, better quality ships, better armed. And so Darrow uses the old claw drills they use to burrow in the in mines. The coolest fucking way possible. Yeah, they they fucking launch out of a moon or something like that through space and drill into the ship that Roke is yeah. captaining, and then make the. How fucking bad would that be if you missed the ship? Well, that's that was the thing. It was so risky because if they missed, they're just flying off into space. Or if they fucked up, the drill explodes and they splatter against the ship. Yeah. Anyway, so they go through and they manage to. You know, get all the way to a place where they can hack comms. And hmm. they, there's a predetermined message to all the low colors on the ship to go like, hey, I'm, I'm the Reaper and I'm here and we're liberating you. Rise up, rise up and all that stuff. And they're at this door and they don't have enough time to cut through. There's people coming in. They're going to get slaughtered. And then the door just opens to the bridge. And behind the door is this one pink who was like kind of the paramour of uh of roke and she's got like this firm determined look on her face like you know i'm not going to be kept by this fucker anymore i don't think i think i think handmaiden is probably a better term than you know than paramour maybe um i don't think she i don't think roke was sleeping with her i I do think she was actually I, i think that that was that was heavily implied that you know the two of them were were banging I, I mean, it's it. They do. You're right. They do leave it up to interpretation. It's possible they were. It's possible they weren't. Um, I thought she just hit the button because she was like, she could see that the ship was going south and the Reaper was outside the door, and she would rather be on the Reaper's side. Oh, I I took it completely different. I thought it was like a a lovers quarrel where she was like, no, no, I'm not yeah. not having any more of this fucker. And but either way, she opens the door and they go in quietly close the door and she steps off to the side they quickly take out the bridge crew defenses and then it's just Roke and Darrow hmm. they're do- making every effort not to kill any yeah anyone that isn't resisting yeah yeah and um Roke and Darrow have sorry go on in fact I think the message that they send out actually turns a lot of Roke's ships on his own fleet it does, yeah. There are a few, you know, successful like ships that Darrow's not even on. Yeah, exactly. It, it goes. It was a pre-recorded message that goes out to the ships, and if they got comms, they were supposed to broadcast to the ship, and the other low colors would hopefully rise up. And it does work on a few ships. Um. Anyway, so uh, Darrow confronts Roke, who is a shocked that he's there, but b betrayed that the pink had opened the door because there's a moment between the two of them where um darrow says like and then he sees a you know a worse pain on his face um and that you know he calls it the pain of betrayal Mm. um so darrow once again makes an entreaty to roke like come on like just just surrender just don't don't let anything happen like you don't have to die here like we can be brothers again and Roke is decides instead. No, he's like he's going to die with his honor, uh, because again, that he, he he like he's backed into a corner and decides to take an honorable suicide rather than a you know be captured or switch sides or whatever. Yeah, there, on one side you can see Roke being like an honorable dude that kind of just stuck with his guns throughout. On the other side. You could probably imagine him wearing a tall white hood. 
<laughs> so I I actually liken Roke a lot to um, Javert from uh, Le Miserable. Yeah. Like he's he's somebody who sees the world purely in black and white. And when yeah. somebody shows him a shade of gray, it shatters his world to an extent that he can't cover. Except Javier, Javier kind of comes round. No, he he kills himself. Yeah, he he like no, but he's like okay. But, but that's what I'm. That's, I understand that what I've been doing has been not right, not that, wrong, but not right. That that's my point. Is that's what happens to Roke. Roke like comes to the like he sees the flaws in his worldview and then it breaks him and he kills himself. I don't think he does see the flaws. I think he's just he's like, fuck it, GG. I'm out. GG no re. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, John, finish that. Okay, I mean that scene. that could be yeah that could be the way it goes. But anyway, so Roke kills himself, and then they get a whole bunch of you know. Like, oh, the fleet's going towards the shipyards of our, our planet the, for the Moon Lords and everything like that. And this is where Darrow makes a very... Darrow makes a lot of... How do I put this? Rough decisions. Like right. Unnecessary he... gambles. Unnecessary gambles, but he also does some very dirty things in the interest of winning his war. And this is one of them. So his allies, the Moon Lords, um, like he puts on his helmet to answer their call, like wipes him a rope's blood on his face. So it looks like he's going through the halls. It's like, oh, it's still taking time. Yeah, we can't we can't get through and so on and so on. And yeah. they're like, oh, stop him before he hits the shipyards. And then he take like he, he's like, I'm, I'm going to try. I'll do the best I can. And he cuts the communication and then commands the blues on the ship to kill the shipyards. To fire a nuke at the shipyards. Yeah. So they... And the, the idea is that, yeah, the Moon Lords have independence, but they won't be a threat to the inner planets now for, like, a hundred yeah. years. It neuters them hard. Yeah. And so, basically, he's... He fucks over... Like, after he knows he's won, he fucks over his allies just so that he can, you know, have a little bit of breathing room. Yeah. And it, it's understandable. Tactically, it was a brilliant maneuver. It was. But morally, it's pretty fucked up. Also, everyone in that room, including... There was a lot of golds in that room that just gave up when Rogue died. Yeah. Like, enemy golds are in the room. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's It's also the same thing that happens with... Um, you used to see this a lot in, in medieval society. The knights would always be like... You know, they'd, you know they'd, they'd fight when they lose, they surrender, and they expect honorable treatment. Yeah. No, they should have all been killed. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. They're part of bigger families which had a lot of money, so the Rising needed that money. And that's, I think, why they were left alive. Yeah. Um, but but they could have stood with Rogue, and none of them did. Like, they make a point of that. That, that I think, is very... That is a good point. Is that Rogue was... He was clearly the best man in the room. And yeah. I think that's that's something that should be said. For all the shitty things that he did, he the lived. The racist cunt. <laughs> he lived and died by his principles. Yeah, and there is something respectable about that. Maybe not. He wasn't a coward. Not good, but respectable. And yeah, he wasn't a coward. That's clear. Hmm. He's a lot like the the jackal in many ways. Like he will cut off his hand to get away. Mm. But he will um, like. 
he has such strong beliefs that he, he is he, right. That he, he does, would do that. but whereas Rokes was based on his upbringing and his sense of duty and honor, the Jackals were based on the fact that he's a sociopath and has no emotions. I, I think they, they act in similar ways, but the the core of who they are is different. Sorry, we're yeah. we're getting caught up in the philosophy a little yeah, bit sorry. here. Um, so moving on, they they take over the fleet. Uh, the Moon Lords are bitter, but you know, they're they've won the battle. Yeah, they didn't know any better. Uh, well, the 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 head guy kind of picks up on it, and there's this tense scene between him and Darrow, where they both realize that they've they've sort of screwed each other a little bit, but also sort of got what they want. It, it reminds me of an old adage: a good negotiation, like you know, you've had a good negotiation when neither side is happy. It's because everyone gets a little bit of what they want, but not really everything they wanted. Yeah. And that's what happens at the end of this. So they kind of regroup, figure things out, and they, they're they heading back to the inner planets, right? To go back to Mars. And this is where they're trying to, like, sort some stuff out. Um, oh, that's... They're not heading to Luna. That's the thing. At this point, you still think they're heading to Mars. That's, oh. that's a spoiler. It comes later. So Sorry. <laughs> they they so I mean there's no point in me not spoiling because I'm giving the whole plot. But they they are secretly going to Luna, but they say they're going to Mars. The idea is to trick the jackal, right? Unfortunately, on the trip there, the jackal sends like a transmission. It gets intercepted by the whole fleet of him executing Darrow's uncle, who's like beloved yeah. by the low colors, and it sparks a rebellion on the ships. To the point where um, Sefi is lynching uh, golds in, like, the cargo bay. Yeah. Including um, Cassius. And Severo, like, dismantles this in such a good way. Oh, my God. Like, I love this scene. And I need to describe yeah. it in its completion. I can remember this quite clearly. It's God. such a good scene. So Severo... You know, he jumps up on stage and he dons like the, um, you know, the mask of, uh, of uh, Ares. And he's like, and he's like, oh, he's done this and he's done this and he's a murderer. Clearly he deserves this. What do we do with murderers? And everyone's like, yeah, we, we kill him. And then he's like, and then he goes and then he, he goes like, and I am Severo and I have, um, like, and I am Ares and I have murdered this person and this person and this person. And what do we do with murderers? And he ties a noose around his own neck and jumps off the platform. Yeah. And everyone just like panics like, oh shit. And all the low cutters are trying to cut him down, but none of them can reach him and stuff like that. And in that one moment, he kind of deflates the whole thing. Like, it's a yeah. riotous mob, and with that one act, he kind of just takes away the, the impetus to go out and lynch all these golds. And he hangs there for quite a while. He does. Like, they, they, they actually describe it later when they have to take him, and Cassius survives, too. They have to take the yeah. both of them to the infirmary, and they're, like, he can barely talk because, you know, it's it's crushed his larynx a little bit, and they have to do some surgery to fix everything, and... But it's such a good scene when you actually hear the whole thing. Because I, I, I'm not going to try to repeat any of the things he said because I'm not going to do him justice. But it's such a powerful scene. And it, it really touches on, like, mob mentality and how to defuse it perfectly. Mm. Like, you get the mob to cheer for you, 
and then you show them their hypocrisy in complete and brutal fashion. Yeah. Anything you want to say about that scene? Because you you were saying you'd like just. No, I think it was really good. Um, There was a lot of the main characters for Gold, um, and I think. Like, a few of the guilds do get executed. Yeah, yeah. I think they by the time they get there, three of them have already been hung, and um, mm. Cassius is about to be hung. And Sephi is pissed. Oh, yeah. Sephi is... And this is where Darrow starts to realize, okay, this was the, the problem with uplifting an entire brutal tribal society yeah. all at Gave once. Gave him too much power too quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the Taliban. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so that scene ends, and this is where the the bromance uh, between uh, Darrow and Cassius picks up. What we were alluding to earlier, um, Darrow. Yeah, they share a scotch, don't they? They the... do. Yeah, yeah. So Darrow and uh, Darrow and Cassius. Was, Darrow takes over Rope's suite, opulently yeah. decorated. Oh yeah, yeah. Really nice booze, and he he's looking over the last videos and stuff that uh, Cassius was watching, and it was of their old school days, mm. back in the institute, because all of that was recorded. That you know when they were camping out by the fire, the the girl uh, Quinn that got executed, that Cassius had you know the hots for. Uh, sorry, that um, Roke had the hots for, and Cassius actually. I think they both went after Quinn. Um. Yeah, I know. We, we talked about this. Some of the earlier characters are kind of forgettable. Cassius. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, but, af- but after a while of watching the videos, Darrow summons Cassius to the quarters. Like, bring- has him brought up. Uh, did you have something yeah. to say before I get to this scene? Someone's hanging, out, hanging around outside Darrow's door, but I thought it was Ragnar Ross. Ragnar Ross? Rag- Rag- Ragnar. Ragnar. Um, but he's dead, so it couldn't have been him. There is someone, you're right. It was an obsidian, I'm pretty sure. It might have been uh, Sephi. No, it wasn't Sephi. Sephi didn't give a shit. No, Sephi, you're, you're actually... I think you're thinking of book two, because that does happen in book two, so, yeah. uh, where they're at a ship and Ragnar won't leave his door. Like, yeah. Ragnar literally... It's like He's like, Ragnar, go to bed. I'm safe. <laughs> like, that That did happen in book two. I think that's what you're thinking of. Yeah, that's right. So... After a while of like he has a drink and he's like oh it's it's really nice stuff and um, he's like oh of course Roke always had the best like he had the best tastes and then as he's watching these videos he's thinking he has he has a fit of nostalgia and he has Cassius brought up from the the brig mm. and has him uncuffed and basically the two of them just sit there watching old videos and drinking scotch and just reminiscing and they have this moment where. They're not friends again, but in that moment of, like, they still have deep enmity for each other. But they they kind of feel a little bit more of that brotherhood they shared back at the Institute. Yeah. It, it's Darrow the f- doesn't have much for Cassius, but Cassius does for Darrow. No, I think it's... No, I think it's, it goes both ways, because Darrow multiple times talks about how like, Cassius is something that weighs on his mind quite a bit in the third book. Thinking about, like, how he he regrets how their relationship devolved. Because they were brothers at one point. And, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I don't think Darrow was ever super mad at Cassius. I mean... He wasn't. You know, no, no. I, I, I think that most of the anger is on Cassius's side. Yeah. 
Uh, but so they, they, they share a few drinks and, you know, go off and they have a bit of a bonding moment. And I, I feel the need to emphasize that moment because it does play in later. So they get to, uh, they get into the inner planets and, um, they, uh, come up with a plan. They, they, everyone thinks they're going for Mars, but they have skipped Mars and ended up at Luna to go for a direct attack on the Sovereign in her, like, fortified citadel. And they have a distraction combat going up in space, and Darrow and, and Mustang make some kind of an attack. And then uh, the Jackal catches them, because he, he figured out their plan. And Cassius betrays them, because they're going to use him. And he kills Severo, and then takes them all to the Sovereign's bunker. And here's where the the big the big uh, switcheroo happens. Turns out Cassius was on their side. Severo is not dead because they used something to like make his biometrics look like he was dead temporarily. They used the same vial that they used to make Darrow appear dead at the very beginning of the first book to use on Severo. Yeah, so he didn't have a heartbeat for a very long time. Yeah, and then he basically stabbed him with um, adrenaline. Yeah, to kick his oh, ass back. It was like some chili sauce or something stupid. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was They call it that. Uh, so it was basically... Um, so when um, Darrow talked to his uncle, he described it as like uh, this, you know, grandma's brew or something like that or whatever. Yeah. It was some concoction of like adrenaline stimulants and drugs that just basically like kickstarts yeah. the heart again. And so... They pull this big switcheroo. Aja finally dies. Oh, by the way, she didn't die on the ice field. She came back. Yeah. So they finally kill her. Um, they kill off the Sovereign's guards. And then... Big old thing. Cassius and Darrow kind of make amends. Well, they have obviously made amends. Um, and he helps them overthrow the Sovereign. And the book ends with this interesting little little bit where between darrow and mustang uh i oh. think it's worth mentioning the thing with the the queen's son oh um sorry it's been a while the end of the book what what happens with him uh i, I see i'm trying to remember i remember it being very important because well, he's he's he, in the room. He basically agrees, like that she should die or something. Yeah, so I remember this. So the 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 person who, the queen's son who gets the sovereign son who gets like kidnapped by Severo in the second book, um, and that's their whole bargaining chip when they're escaping. He like they, he's like convinced that, you know, something's wrong and rotten in the society, and decides that. You know, his grandmother has to die and agrees to her execution. She she dies, and then I don't know if he's supposed to take over or if he's gonna restore the Senate or something like that, but he doesn't take him but he is definitely allowed to live. Like it's decided that it was not nothing was his fault and he yeah. should not be prosecuted for the actions of his mother. And the reason uh, I, the ending didn't really stick that part of the ending didn't really stick with me. The the whole political thing at the end because yeah what happens like the, next is more what i care about i don't like the mustang thing as well i was gonna say go on okay well the mustang interaction again also is not what i care about but i like the way that they ended it and that's that like they kind of cut 
you know, to a few months later, and Darrow is talking with Mustang, and they're basically having a little heart-to-heart. But the implication of what they're talking about is that they've done it. They've accomplished the revolution. It's not complete chaos, but there's so much unknown now. They have, you know, carte blanche to create a new society. And there's trepidation in that. There's there's relief that, oh, we've, we've done it. We've accomplished our goal, but there's now trepidation. What do we do next? How do we make sure that we make something better and not just devolve into chaos? And that's yeah. that's the the feeling of that last conversation that they have. And I really like that they left it a bit vague at the end of that book. So Mustang becomes sovereign. Mustang what? Sorry, you cut out there. Mustang becomes sovereign. Hmm. And Victra becomes her... Was it Victra? I think. Becomes her second, like, her personal aide. Yeah. Um, Dara and Mustang get married. Yep. Victra and Severo get married. Yep. But they got married on the ship. That was earlier. Uh, yeah, that's true. But we skipped over it. Yeah, I, um, again, a lot of the interpersonal stuff I skipped over because it's not key to the plot. Um, but go on, sorry. Uh, both weds, all weds, mm. both the, anyway, both the newlyweds. Uh, the two the two relationships both have children. Mm. Uh, Darrow has a little girl, I think. Yeah. That sounds what was right. Was it a little boy? I honestly I don't remember. Anyway, and then Severo has the other. <laughs> the opposite of that, and the implication being what? That yeah. Um, and that is, uh, so that they they are established as like the most upper echelons of society, and their children uh, play some part in the next series. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the three books that come after this. Which I may read, but no, we're probably not going to... I think there's only one book out at the moment. Oh, really? Okay. I think. I, I haven't checked in like a year. But again, I may, I, may check, I may read them, but I doubt I'll talk about them this extensively on the podcast. Um, I mean, maybe you'll like it. It's, the biggest problem for me was that they switched around the way that they read the audiobook. I'm oh, really right, with me. the multiple things. But the thing is, yeah, I've, I've read audiobooks where they did have multiple voice actors, and it was pretty mm. good. So, anyway, the, like, we've, you know, we, we're over two hours, but we can, I, I want to spend, like, at least ten minutes kind of just talking about the series as a whole. Thoughts, yeah. feelings, whatever. Um, so, the first thing, I like the ending. It's, it's vague, and it leaves it a bit open-ended, but... I like the fact that they tied up all of the loose threads and that they actually they accomplished their goal but they didn't just celebrate it like yay we accomplished our goal everything's gonna be great now they were like we accomplished our goal and if hopefully things will be great that was yeah, that was I, the impression I got I liked how when they're walking out the bunker with the scepter yeah like, every room they walked into, there was basically, a, like, a whole facility full of enemies. Mm. And then the moment people saw them holding the scepter, they just down tools. The occasional person would try and, like, attack them, and then just get shot in the back by their allies. Right, because um, they realized that 
change of power. Anyone dumb enough not to notice this is it's it's yeah. the whole this, this the king is this isn't a lost battle. This is a lost war. Yeah, it's it's not the it's the whole uh, the king is dead. Long live the king. Uh, long live the king. Yeah. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah. And yeah, like and I I like I did kind of like the fact that the um the little kid whose name I still can't it begins with an L I'm sure. Um, Lysander. Liked... Lysander, that's the one. I'm t- I'm surprised I remember that. He was such an insubstantial yeah. character. <laughs> I don't know. I I liked him, and I think it's a shame we didn't hear more from him because I thought he was a really good character. The thing is, he's... It's always an interesting character. Like, some some forms of media abuse this, but you can do a lot with the child thrust into, like, a very difficult situation character, yeah. which I think is what he is. He's, he's a kid, but he's been thrust into a situation that is, like... It, like he, he's he's essentially become the heir to an empire in the middle of a civil war and he's like what 15 14 something like that i don't know i can't yeah he's, he's pretty young he's pretty uh, young i think a lot younger than that to be fair yeah I, he may actually i may be giving him like too many years but still same idea hmm. but yeah so um but so do you want me to give you a brief uh, idea of what happens in the next book? To maybe, like, nah, I mean, give you a taste, or, I, like, whether you want to do it or not. I'd rather, like, dwell more on kind of a retrospective, because I think this book does... It tackles a lot of commonly tackled topics, but it tackles them right. Hmm. Like, a lot of the times when you have books about revolution, they gl- they either glorify the revolutionaries or they they, they vilify them. This book yeah. did neither. Okay, I know a good way to put it. Hmm. Without giving you any content. Okay, go on. This series was about, as you said, a revolution. It was about changing the society as a whole. Yeah. The next book talks about what happens within that society. They're not changing the society more. They're talking about a situation that happens within that society. They took it down to a ground floor level. Yeah, they talk, talk about this. It's no longer lords of spaceships flying mm. around blowing people with nukes. Blowing people with nukes? Um, <laughs> it's about, it goes back down to the common man and his struggle in this new society. Okay. I could see that. I mean, if it's mm. it done right, it could be interesting. Um, I probably didn't give it enough credit. But yeah, it, it it's worked in other forms of media. So, a similar parallel: uh, the Song of Ice and Fire series, better known as Game of Thrones. Mm. Uh, the books, the the main books, are all at that higher level. They they touch on the common man a little bit, but it's really about the political machinations of the upper class. But they have had other books. Uh, there's one called Hedge Knight. Um, there's a couple others where they do side stories about the common man in that society, like the person who is at yeah. the ground level, not at this high up like lord status. Jon Snow. Not him. He's he's still up. He's still in the upper class. I mean, he was a common man at the beginning. He was the bastard anyway. son of a lord. Like he he had a lot more privilege yeah, than he most was a people. bastard. Exactly. Yeah, but he was still treated like the son of a lord. Yeah. Anyway, 
not to get into a whole nother book series, but final thoughts on that that series as a whole. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, oh my greatest like I, series I've con- ever read. Considering like I plowed through the thing in like less than two months. Yeah, you're and, trying to space out. And yeah, you just I, didn't. I, I, <laughs> I took a break on book three. I took a break on yeah. book three to try and like allow some time to pass. But book one and two, like I'd finished them in like three weeks. For both mm-hmm. so very good series very good characters and they they do they do so they do interpersonal and intercharacter interactions so well in the books like we mostly touched on the plot and I, I chose a few key scenes to kind of go over but they do it so well in the actual series definitely worth yep. a read if you like even if you don't like sci-fi this is more about you know, character drama than it is about sci-fi. But there are cool sci-fi elements. Yeah. They definitely mix in a bit of romance, a bit of, like, a whole bunch of different categories in one. Yeah. Alright. I, I don't want to belabor this too long. Uh, any final thoughts from you on the series, and then I'll close this out. Uh, I'm not running the series, just um, if anyone at home has any ideas for, for great-sounding books... Send us suggestions, and we may well end up having a look if it piques our interest. Well, I mean, I, I know I'm I'm a very prolif- prolific reader, so I'll probably uh, take a look. Pick him up. Yeah. All right. Let's close it out there. This is going to be the end of it. Uh, oh, God, what episode segment is this? Three. No, no, no. Fifth not six. segment three. Episode. It's the end of the podcast. <laughs> this yeah, is going to be... You said segments. I said three. You, then I you know. Said episode, it was a mistake. I said 56. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> This is going to be the end of episode 56 of the TSCJ podcast. Thank you all. Thank you all for listening. And you'll hear us again next week. Penguins!